Thanks for downloading the McKay interview. We're in the month of November. This is the month of Movember, too. And in this week's interview, my guest will be Dr. Charles Henry Rocha, the well-known Geneva urologist and surgeon. We talk about men's health, in particular prostate cancer, and the advances in its treatment where matters have improved considerably in recent years. And we examine more closely the genetics and hereditary aspects of prostate cancer, the effectiveness of the PSA and other diagnostic tests, and lastly, the effects of the disease within the family, in particular on wives, life partners, daughters and granddaughters. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. It's November, or Movember, the month when men, well, at least some men, sprout hair on their top lip and grow a moustache. Now, I've been her suit since 1971 and only shaved once since then in the hot London summer of 74. But when I did shave, I mean, I left my moustache intact and then immediately grew my beard back after my wife shrieked a cry of non-recognition when she saw me. I had not warned her. But that's another story for another time, perhaps. In case you don't know, Movember is a worthy charity founded in Australia in 2003 to help research and prevent prostate cancer and other men's health problems. In Switzerland, for, for example, about one man in eight will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during his lifetime. And prostate cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in Switzerland, like in America and many other Western countries, behind lung cancer. About one man in 40 will die of prostate cancer. Now, what's my interest in the subject, you might ask? Well, I had surgery for prostate cancer in 2003, at the relatively youthful age of 55. It was successful, thank God. That's why I'm here talking to you today. But my dear father died of it at the relatively young age of 63, and that was 46 years ago. And it seems that there's a family tendency towards this type of cancer in the McKay male genes. Thankfully, and as I guess we would all expect it, medical science and technology have advanced since 1976 and 2003, the two big milestones in my prostate cancer recollections. And some of you listening might remember that back in November, or Movember 2015, I interviewed my doctor, the specialist urologist surgeon who operated on me. Well, I'm pleased to say that Dr. Charles Henry Rocha is with me again today. In fact, I'm in his Geneva office now as interviewer and not as patient. And for those of you who've never heard of him, let me give you a glimpse of his impressive credentials. He's been practicing as a doctor since 1982 and is a fellow of the European Board of Urology. Since March 99, he's been one of the pioneers in laparoscopic surgery, practicing his first laparoscopic radical prostatectomy in Switzerland. Don't rush to Google it. I'm going to ask him to explain what laparoscopic, if I pronounced it correctly, means. He established the Multidisciplinary Center for Robot-Assisted Laparoscopic Surgery, which opened in 2003 at the Clinique Générale Beaulieu in Geneva, which is next door to where I am now. In 2013, he co-founded and directed the Swiss International Prostate Center, and we're going to talk about that center during this interview. His experience in robotics in general 
and particularly in robot-assisted prostatectomy, is widely acknowledged. Under his leadership, the Clinique Générale Beaulieu has, since 2015, been one of the few institutions in Switzerland to be accredited as a host centre by the European Association of Urology for training in robot-assisted radical prostatectomy using what's called the Da Vinci robot. At the same time, he's been for many years consultant in charge of urologic surgery at the Hôpital de la Chaux-de-Fonds here in Switzerland and consultant in the Department of Urology at the Geneva University Hospitals, known locally as the UG. Apart from his commitment to onological Oncological reconstructive surgery, I have to get used to pronouncing all these unusual names for me. He's also a humanitarian, and this has led him to participate in numerous wartime missions as a surgeon. He holds the Commander's Cross of the Order Promerito Militensi, awarded by the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. And regular listeners will remember that recently I interviewed the Sovereign Order's ambassador to the United Nations here in Geneva. He's also a teacher and developed treatment, training, and prevention programs in the field of obstetric fistula in the Republic of Benin. These programs are now internationally recognized, and since 1996 he's been the consultant in charge of obstetric fistula surgery at the Tangueta Hospital in northern Benin in West Africa. He's a visiting associate professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Women's Health of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine at the Yeshiva University in New York City. And there's much, much more I could tell you about it. But Dr. Rocha, welcome back to the McKay interview. Many thanks for making time for me again and time for our listeners and sharing your vast knowledge and experience with us. It's much appreciated. <laughs> Hello, Mikhail. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, listen to to you. Uh, I think you you know more about me than I know myself about, about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure about that. But Dr. Roger, before we begin, please briefly and in simple English, tell me and our listeners what does laparoscopic mean and obstetric fistula, just so we know. Yeah, of course, that's two very uh, different things. Uh, First of all, uh, laparoscopy, it's just surgery by using a camera, a lens inside the, the body. It's what we call a keyhole surgery. It's keyhole surgery, yeah. I see. We insert some trocards some, um, uh, inside the inflated abdomen uh, to, to, to develop a working space. And uh, with the camera, we can move inside the, the abdomen and with small tools we can perform what we call mini invasive surgery it's um, a, a very precise uh, movement and uh, we control the bleeding um, uh, step by step otherwise we could we couldn't see so uh, the big advantage is a small incision a very good uh, precision of the surgery Less bleeding, less infection, better recovery. I see. Okay. Well, now that, you mentioned that's keyhole. Okay. Keyhole surgery. Ob- obstetric fistula. What, what's that in simple English? Uh, that's something completely, completely different. Obstetric fistula is a condition which uh, occur to poor women when they have uh, they are not assisted uh, for delivery and they deliver at home without any uh, medical or assistance. And uh, if the baby is too big, 
and uh, the what we call the, the labor become obstructed. Then the baby gets stuck in the in the abdomen of the the woman, and the pressure of the head of the baby against the bladder, even against the rectums, um, destroy uh, destroy the tissue, and at the end some holes appear. And that we call the fistula. It's a communication, it's a hole between the vagina and the bladder, or between the vagina and the rectum. And this terribly, it's a terrible condition, which has completely disappeared in the developed countries. It's only for poor women who can't afford the best treatment, having babies at home. That's right, and, and no access to um, obstetric units, okay. no access to C-section, because the, yeah. the solution would be, would be to get a cesarean section uh, on time. Thank you for that clarification. There may be many women listening and thinking, oh, Michael, you're so ignorant and you should know these <laughs> things, but I didn't anyway. But before we get into the advances in knowledge uh, and medical expertise over the last 40 to 50 years um, for men, men's health, please remind me and inform our listeners who might not know of the two urological cancers most common in men, testicular and prostate. What's the difference and it would not be a guess to say that we all know what the testicles are for, but what is the prostate for and what purpose does it serve? Okay, uh, let me correct you about uh, the incidence. Uh, testicular cancer is a rare cancer. But it's true that in 2003, when they, when they, uh, they create the Movember uh, movement, they wanted to associate uh, testicular uh, cancer to, to prostate cancer, but actually uh, the rate of uh, testicular cancer is less than 500 new cases a year. As small as that. In Switzerland, yeah. compared to over uh, 6,000 uh, uh, new cases per year of prostate cancer. So it's a big difference. It's a, a big, big difference. difference yeah. um, <coughs> so testicular cancer, uh, it's uh, highly curable. Uh, it's concerned only the population of young men uh, less than uh, 40, generally. Okay. And it's a good prognosis. The diagnosis is made because the, the patient itself notices uh, a lump, a node, in the testicle. And uh, it's good that the Movember, uh, 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 the, the awareness of this kind of uh, uh, Movember um, program is to um, is to stress the, the the man just try sometimes to palpate your testicle if you feel some abnormalities, then consult a, a doctor. That's for uh, uh, testicular cancer. Uh, prostate cancer that's a uh, completely uh, other story, much more frequent, uh, much more difficult to diagnose because you cannot palpate it. Uh, so easily because it's so far inside ah uh, yes yeah. yes yeah. yes okay and are these diseases um, genetic and hereditary and if contracted can any blame be ascribed to lifestyle or is it just bad luck it's most of the time it's just bad luck uh, for testicular cancer it's just bad luck for prostate cancer you can find uh, uh, prostate cancer families in a rate between 15 to 20 percent. Um, if you make the anamnese, you, 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 you will find a brother or father 
concern also with uh, prostate cancer. Um, the question is frequently asked by the patients. Uh, I have a prostate cancer, my father ha had a prostate cancer, what to do with my kids, I have two boys. So today, the, the only thing we, we, we can say is uh, we have a marker, it's not a real uh, cancer marker, but that's the PSA, the prostate-specific antigen, and that's the only thing uh, which is really uh, helpful to, 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 for the early detection of prostate cancer. And so the advice, if you have prostate cancer and if you have kids, uh, ask your kids to, to do the PSA test from the age of 40. But otherwise, the, the genetic research is interesting, but it's not, it's, today it doesn't have a, a real um, added value for uh, detection or screening of, of prostate cancer. But I wanted, as you mentioned PSA, I wanted to ask you, but let me ask you the question now. Um, it seems from what I've read and from what I've heard that some doctors seem to disagree on the effectiveness of the PSA test. Is there any other alternative? And why is it that doctors, some yeah. doctors, seem to disagree on the effectiveness and the usefulness of the PSA test? Originally, the PSA was not developed for uh, screening of prostate cancer. It, it was, the marker was developed to, um, to judge of the, about the efficacy of a treatment uh, of a prostate cancer. And um, the test has been probably has been uh, misused for decades. And um, many men got an over-treatment, uh, over-diagnosis and over-treatment. And that's the, the, the reason why many doctors are reluctant to advise uh, prostate cancer detection. But let me yes, stop you there. When you say over-treatment, do you mean that the doctors would, gave them something which wasn't appropriate for their uh, condition? Absolutely. I, w okay. I, uh, I will come yeah. straight to the point. Yeah. Um, in 2003, the uh, European Commission did not recommend uh, prostate cancer screening by PSA because of the risk of uh, uh, over-treatment and over-diagnosis. But... In September 2022, um, I mean last, uh, last September, the new uh, commu uh, communicate from the European Commission. And for the first time, they recommend to extend uh, the, the screening program to prostate cancer with the PSA. So it has dramatically changed uh, these last years. Why? And why do we recommend now a uh, uh, detection program with PSA uh, and not before? It's because today we have much better tools to appreciate the risk of the prostate cancer. I mean, having a prostate cancer detected will not mean that you will be operated or you will get the radiation. Um, we, we can uh, today, uh, we have a better knowledge of the disease. And um, thanks to uh, the, the MRI, uh, the MRI gives a real map of the cancer in the prostate. And that helps to predict the, the risk of uh, growing or 
metastasis uh, even. So th that's the paradigm which has changed. We have today tools to appreciate the risk and to give a very good counseling to the patient. You should do nothing, you should do a biopsy, you should repeat biopsy, you should repeat MRI, you should um, uh, be operated, you should have a focal treatment, we have, uh, or you, you should have an irradiation. Uh, we have many, many uh, ways to, um, to, uh, to treat the patients with, with a very good result, which was not the case maybe 10 years ago. So uh, just to be clear, particularly for people listening who uh, might have a particular interest because this is a new topic uh, to them, and using myself as an example, uh, give it, just, just repeat again this sort of timeline, let's say from the time, for example, when I lost my father back in 1976, yep. and what might have been available to him medically when he was in England, um, to 2003, when I met you and yeah. you diagnosed me, and today, 2022, and then just give me a sense of the technology that's developed in medical practice since then. At the time of your, your, your father's disease, um, the diagnosis of prostate cancer was only made by rectal exam, feeling a hardness on the prostate, but uh, it was uh, generally at the time of the patient already had symptoms, so the surgery uh, was too late, the results were very bad, and um, the, the, the disease was absolutely not um, properly uh, treated, except for with orchidectomy at the time when and the what patient relapsed. What, what does that mean? <laughs> We go back to the testicle, but yeah. we take the testicle out. Oh, I because, see. Because, you know, the testicle... It's quite dramatic. The testicle has yeah. two functions. Yeah. They produce the spermatozoide, yeah. and the second function, the parallel, uh, is, is like, a, like, a, um, like, a, like a firm with, with two separate uh, units of production, uh, uh, making the, the spermatozoide and, and making the hormones. And um, the hormones... Um, feed the prostate. So, so if you have yeah. prostate cancer, with, uh, which is extended, by removing the testicle, you 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 cut, you, you remove the the fuel for for the. So the that cancer. is a dramatic response yeah. to saving. So the that life. was in, in the past. Yeah, sure. Um, but s since you have been operated in two thousand three, uh, what's new? Today, all our patients have an uh, MRI uh, exam before. If the MRI shows something, we, we use the, the, the lesions described on the MRI and, and we make what we call the fusion biopsy. We go straight to the abnormality. So the accuracy of the biopsy is much better. Less patients get the biopsy and, and, and more biopsies are positive because they, they are really well indicated due to the MRI. That's one thing. Um, Let's speak about the robot. You, you have been operated by laparoscopy. And I was one of the very few people performing this surgery 20 years ago. But at the time you have been operated, I already finished since long my learning curve, which I started in 99. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you, you, had a, you, you got um, a, a good treatment. But it was a very demanding surgery, very complicated. With the robot, it's much easier. 
And today, uh, in Switzerland, uh, we are uh, so many uh, robotic units, so many urologists able to perform a prostatectomy with the robot, but they would not be able at all to do that without the robot. So, and it's demanding because it's more precise. Mean, sorry, the robot is better because it's more precise. Is that, or are there other reasons that the non-medical the, person the would three, understand? The three main reasons. Hmm. Uh, first of all, the, the robot has uh, articulated tools. Right. So with a, with a huge degree of flexibility. You Which can, the human hand doesn't have. Absolutely. Yeah. You can cut in, in right angle. Um, and so and these tools have no tremor. So it's a high, very high precision tool. Second advantage with the robot, you have a real 3D vision, oh, yes. which which is uh, is a huge difference. Uh, the 3D uh, compared to the 2D we had with the, lapro the the conventional laparoscopy is a huge difference. And third advantage, with the robot, you work in a very ergonomic position. You 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 sit with You're your arms. You work with, with a joystick. Um, you you. Uh, you you you, are, you you can use uh, the two hands in the same way. You have no dominant. So it's more hand. efficient. It's more efficient. Yeah. It's, okay. it's it's a it's a fantastic development. Yeah. Um, and also one very important uh, development in twenty years is the the new imaging, like um, uh, the the PET scan, and we have a specific. PET scan now for prostate cancer. What does that called do? The PSMA. PSMA. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's specific for um, uh, prostate cancer, and that's, that's very important to um, uh, before or after treatment to assess the, the 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 real situation of the of the patient in terms of uh, um, risk of metastasis, uh, node lymph node metastasis or, or bone. Metastasis. So before or after surgery, the PET scan is a very, very use, uh, useful uh, tool. New development also is in terms of radiotherapy, which is uh, today uh, much more precise, um, like surgical radiotherapy uh, due to the, the new machine. Um, in terms of medicine, we have also new drugs, it's called the, the new generation uh, uh, hormonal treatment, which is very efficient. So in the last 20 years, uh, really, it's a, uh, it's a huge change, it's a huge improvement. So it's quite a dramatic, um, and, and from what you say, it's, it's not been incremental, but some of these changes, these yeah. improvements have been quite... Um, Quite pronounced, quite dramatic. Uh, what has been incremental is the change of the profile of uh, for a patient. By example, <clears throat> I published last year a series of uh, around uh, 1,000 patients, even a little bit more, uh, which I operate since um, the, um, the, the, in the last 15 years. And uh, I wanted to demonstrate that the patient we operate today are not the same we operate 15 years ago. And in what way are they different? At the time, uh, we didn't uh, have the MRI, and um, so we didn't have the uh, uh, so clear information about the risk. 
and we were operating patients with uh, uh, less aggressive cancer than today. It was a little place at the time for what we call active surveillance. You have a cancer, we, do not do, we, do, we don't do anything now, we just observe, and uh, we hope to be on time if something happened to, to treat you properly. Um, so it was difficult to, to tell the patient you don't take any risk because we didn't have at the time we didn't have, we didn't have at the time the proper tools to, to assess the risk. Today we have it. So today we operate less uh, low risk patient but more high risk patient and uh, we propose active surveillance or even that's the new development focal treatment. I see. If you have, if you, we notice a small lesion on the MRI, we make the biopsy on the uh, on the target, and um, we notice that the cells, the cancer cells, are not very aggressive. Let's try to do a focal treatment, and not a radical treatment. And that what is that the people sh should know that today we can really make an a la carte treatment. It's a very, uh, you know, it's a very individual approach, mm. and that has that is the main change compared to the past. For those tuning in late, my guest today is Dr. Charles Henry Rocher, the prominent Geneva urologist, and we're talking about men's health in this month of November. I've just got a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Rocher. Um, first of all, may sound like an odd question, but you're the best person to ask. What should men do? personally and individually to take better care of themselves but you know uh, the the recommendation now seems to be to be clear uh, um, the the way of life is important for for many things uh, don't overeat do some sport don't drink too much alcohol do not smoke too much. You know, all these recommendations uh, are very, very useful for heart disease, for, for all kinds of cancer, for, 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 for the, the, the articulation. For, I mean, uh, having a, a, a good health is something obvious to me because, you know, I'm doing a lot of sport, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm fit, and, and uh, I'm... As, uh, I, I try to to tell my patient to to do the same, to move, not only November, but but, good, <laughs> but just move. Twelve months of the year, <laughs> yes. good, good advice. <laughs> and when I entered your office um, recently, because I had I hadn't noticed it before when I was last here a few years ago, I noticed a sign which said Swiss International Prostate Center. What is that? Yeah, uh, we decided to create a center, uh, which was. Uh, the, the idea was uh, to have a group of uh, experts, but not only urologists, but radiologists and pathologists. Because I told you that today we work a lot with the MRI or the PET, uh, the PET CT. We do biopsies or the specimen of prostate we remove are carefully um, uh, 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 completely, uh, very deeply and carefully uh, uh, examined. And we make a correlation always between the pre-op uh, imaging in terms of uh, MRI and the 
post-operative the, the pathology uh, specimen. Uh, we we work uh, in a team, and that's the reason we create the Swiss International Prostate Center. It's uh, many urologists, pathologists, radiologists, and we have also uh, international consultant. Uh, as today, it's very easy to with the internet and the, the visio to work with uh, other colleagues. And we incorporate, of course, in this uh, SEPC, the, the focal treatment. So we have all our own specific specificity and we organize uh, uh, weekly uh, tumor boards, tumor boards w where we discuss the cases and we try to, 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 to give the best recommendation to our patients. Okay, that's good to know. So it's a drawing together all this expertise yeah, into yeah, one place. Definitely, right? yes. I've got two more questions um, for you. One, um, in, in my family, my extended family, I've got um, three uh, grandsons and um, I've got um, great nephews as well. So there are quite a few boys in the McKay family. Is there a troublesome gene that gives rise to prostate cancer? And if the answer is yes, can genetic science eliminate that gene so that when my grandsons are 40, they won't have to go through the hassle that I have had to go through? <clears throat> that would be the future, hopefully, for, for all the kind of cancer to be able to, uh, to interfere with the genes. Um, to, today, again, it doesn't have a, a, a real uh, added value. Uh, we, we ask sometimes for genetic consoling. Uh, genetic? Consoling. So what does that mean? Uh, we send patients to the geneticist. Yeah, yeah. And they well, counseling, sorry. Counseling, I misunderstood counseling. you, yeah. Counseling, yeah. Counseling, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And um, uh, so they try to do a mapping of the genes. Uh, yes, and I understand. They see if yeah. something uh, abnormal. But um, uh, clinically, uh, for the prostate cancer today, that doesn't, that doesn't help. So uh, PSA is the best recommendation, but uh, also the rectal exam. So, uh, 20% of prostate cancer do not um, uh, make uh, PSA. And the diagnosis is done just by rectal exam. So it's quite a big percentage. I, yes. Yeah. If you do not do the rectal exam to your patients, you will miss 20% of prostate cancer. Gosh. So yeah. from the age of 40, uh, your your son, by example, should yeah. have uh, uh, yearly PSA determination. I'm sure they're listening. And, I'm sure they're and listening. And my nephews as well. And don't <laughs> uh, uh, avoid the, the rectal exam. Yeah. Last question, because uh, we're too, I mean, well, this is essentially yeah. not just about men, it's about families as well. Tell me, in, in, in your many years of medical experience, you must have had contact with many different family members, not just fathers. Or husbands, or male partners. What, in your experience, can women, whether wives, life partners, daughters, granddaughters, do in the quest to improve their men's health? Um, one thing: the 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 women, the daughter, the the mother are very very concerned when uh, prostate cancer appears in the family, and that's also the reason I have to sit in my office. I want, I'm always very happy to meet uh, the, the, the wife of the, the mother or whatever, or the friend of the, the patient, to, to discuss together. Because the, the family has a very important uh, role to support the, the patient, to encourage him and to, 
and uh, the prostate cancer is something to be shared with the close uh, relatives. Because the taboo subject, particularly for men, uh, is impotence and incontinence. Yes. And this, this can be a consequence, a result of the surgery. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, erection um, dysfunction um, is a problem inside the couple. So it has been discussed with the couple before and after surgery. So it's, uh, um, and we have many solutions, but the, the solution has to be exposed to, to the power, I mean, to the two, two persons. We have uh, actually very good result uh, in terms of surgery now to, to, to uh, very good, uh, good result to, in terms of uh, <coughs> quality of surgery and recovering of erection. Um, incontinence is very rare. It's concerned less than 3% of the patient, and we also have solution. But uh, the, the patients fear about that, so it's good to discuss that with the relative. Mm. Uh, I, uh, some <coughs> I think it was in Japan. I never saw the, um, the, the advertisement, but a friend told me, uh, to make a awareness campaign for prostate cancer, it was a, a, a woman on, on the affiche. It was a woman. And, uh, and she said, I have a prostate cancer. Really? Yeah. yeah. That means I have a prostate cancer in my family. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah, it was a... And that was a Japanese advertising campaign. It was yeah. very nice. Yeah. It was a good idea. Yeah. Just to say that the, the women is very concerned uh, or, or, or the friend and uh, it has to be part of the discussion and of the treatment. Dr. Rocha, thanks so much for answering all my questions uh, so precisely with such care and sensitivity. Uh, I really do appreciate that, and I hope those listening have found it useful. I certainly have found it useful, although I've lived with it for the last uh, 20 years. My guest today has been Dr. Charles Henry Rocha, the well-known Geneva urologist. Thanks again, Doctor. Thank you to you, uh, Michael. Thank you for listening. Please share the show with those around you, and if you have any questions or feedback, write to me at contact at I promise that I will reply to you.